Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Doug Ullman, three-time cancer survivor, founder of the Ullman Cancer Fund for Young Adults, and president of the Lance Armstrong Foundation. Cancer is the leading disease killer among 20 to 39-year-olds, and yet there has been a striking lack of progress in cancer mortality rates among young people. This is in contrast to the recently celebrated report from the American Cancer Society that there has been a decrease in cancer deaths in the U.S. for the second year in a row, despite the growing population of older people. Let's talk about the different theories as to why young adults diagnosed with cancer today have a worse prognosis than those diagnosed 25 years ago. Well, that in and of itself is just, to me, the most shocking statistic potentially in all of cancer. And the way I describe it to people and watch their face, this kind of exasperated look on their face, is to say to someone that the fact that someone could be diagnosed with cancer today in any age group and their prognosis would be worse than it was 30 years ago. You say that to people, a lay audience, and they kind of, they they can't understand it. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and given the way the media over the course of the last you know, maybe five or ten years, has promoted every advance, every breakthrough, every new treatment option, I think that there's, at least in the young adult population, there's a false sense of optimism that may or may not be realistic. And so while we have made great progress in so many types of cancer and so many age groups, it really is just shocking to know that there is at least one age group where where the prognosis today could be worse than 1975. Yeah, there's a hole. It's the young adults. And we talked a little bit uh, before about how young adults fall in between, and so that sometimes they go to a pediatric oncologist, sometimes an adult oncologist, and that means very different things, uh, not only just for their comfort of who they're they're sitting next to in the waiting room, but also how they are treated. Absolutely. I mean, you know, as you know, most children with cancer are treated on clinical trials, and the pediatric oncology world has done phenomenal things over the years to really kind of collaborate on advancing clinical trials and advancing treatments for for pediatric cancer. And so it's no coincidence that the survival rates for childhood cancer have gone up considerably, And, and quite honestly, as the survival rates have gone up, the late effects and the negative implications of cancer have gone down as well because they've been able to study those those issues. Mm-hmm. So it really is quite different in terms of whether or not you're treated as, as a pediatric patient or an adult patient. Some hospitals have very arbitrary rules that if you're 18 or, or under or 21 and under, you have to be treated as a pediatric patient. And the flip side of that was that you would be treated with a medical oncology team. Others are more flexible. And I think What we've seen overseas, at least in the United Kingdom, is that they now actually are instituting, the government has instituted young adult, a young adult subspecialty and young adult wards within cancer centers. I'm not personally convinced that that is the right answer for the United States, but at least it shows that we're thinking about it. Right. And we're examining what the best model of care might be. Right. Seeing this group for what they are and addressing them as they need to be addressed. Sometimes the young children in the pediatric oncology are part of a trial, but often they also receive more high-intensity doses of chemotherapy that perhaps an adult oncologist wouldn't give to their patients. So the actual medical treatment will be different depending on where that young adult is treated. Absolutely, absolutely. And and we know just 
you know, broadly in terms of oncology treatment as a whole, that, you know, 80 to 85 percent of all cancer patients are treated in the community, not treated at a major medical center, uh, whereas in the pediatric world, the vast majority of pediatric oncology patients are treated at children's hospitals and major medical centers. So there's definitely a correlation to where you are treated. But, you know, there's so many other issues that play into that gap in survival, and many of them are hypotheses that we don't know enough about currently. And for us at the foundation and at the Omen Cancer Fund, we're real excited to even start the process of researching some of these things that we that we kind of have a void in information or a void in knowledge. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that has been proposed as contributing to the survival disparity is a lack of insurance. And you had mentioned that Lance Armstrong, when he was first diagnosed, didn't have insurance. Absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a key issue. We have some new data now that shows that whether you have public insurance, private insurance, or are uninsured or underinsured, we have data that shows the delay in diagnosis for young adults. And for many, between those three or four different types of insurance, for some, the delay can be up to a year based on not having regular checkups, not going to physicians, not having doctors who are kind of not in, in tune with symptoms. There are any number of reasons, but the, but the insurance factor in, in the, the time at which someone is diagnosed in this young adult age group is really a, an enormous piece of the puzzle. Right. And you mentioned some of the psychological components that, you know, young adults like yourself aren't thinking that they might have cancer. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, we talk a lot about the notion that it's a two-way street. I mean, young adult isn't thinking they have cancer, and the doctor clearly isn't because in the scheme of things, it's still a rare disease. So for the young adult population, it's still a fairly rare, rare disease. So there's low clinical suspicion from the healthcare provider standpoint. And, you know, young adults are out and about and they're, they're injuring themselves, they're athletic, they're moving, they're stressed, they're, you know, they're dealing with just life as it's coming at them. And so the last thing on anyone's mind is cancer. And so oftentimes it's just not on, on people's minds. And, and one of the things that we can do here or that we're uniquely positioned to do, I think, is to just raise the awareness level among both individuals, uh, young adults, and then also of healthcare providers to say, okay, this is a real, a real thing. And as we all know, the earlier that, that the diagnosis comes, the better, better prognosis. Right. And, and with that awareness comes some political power to receive funding Absolutely. I mean, there's so much that we don't know and so much that we that we need to explore. I mean, when we first kind of mined the data and found that the survival statistics for young adults, I went to the director of the National Cancer Institute at the time and I said, listen, I said, this is your data. I said, I'm not, we're not, we didn't make this up. I mean, we didn't take this from any other sources other than your SEER databases and, and said, we need to address this together. And they were willing to work with us on a scientific strategic plan around what questions we need answered. And there are a lot of issues. I mean, there, there's the psychological, there's the awareness level, and there's also some basic biologic issues. Why does a 30-year-old with T-cell ALL have a 20 to 30% chance of surviving five years when a 10-year-old with the exact same T-cell ALL has a 90% chance? Obviously, they're not responding to treatment the same way and there might be a different biology. It's the same with breast cancer, and many younger women get a more virulent form of, of breast cancer. 
And so there are so many things that we need to address, and obviously that takes resources, and and we hope that we can leverage our brand and and our visibility into further resources. The president is currently proposing cutting the National Cancer Institute's budget by 1%, or $36 million. The Institute fears that Congress will cut the budget significantly more by maybe 5 or 10%. You are serving as chairman of the National Cancer Institute Director's Consumer Liaison Group. Between that position and your work with Livestrong, I imagine you're moving politically to regain support right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can tell you both in my role here, my role at the NCI, it's absolutely unacceptable to have any cuts to the National Cancer Institute or to the National Institute of Health. You know, at, at a time when you hear things on the news and in the media about progress being made, you know, that progress is the result of years and years of work. And that progress will not be able to, to continue without a reinvestment or, or an increase in the investment that we put forth. And so we're going to do everything we can to ensure that this country makes it a priority. I have a fairly high degree of confidence in the, in the Congress, but yet since the war on cancer was declared in 1971, last year and this year were the first years ever that the President of the United States has proposed cutting the, the budget of both the NIH and the NCI. And so we're extremely disappointed. And if you have to look at it like some do, just purely from an economic perspective, reducing cancer mortality by 1% would save this country $500 billion. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we spend, as a nation, less than $5 billion on cancer, it, just, it doesn't make sense for any number of reasons. And so we're going to be uh, advocating strongly that Congress actually increases what was proposed in the president's budget. Right. It's interesting at the same time that people are celebrating these new numbers, they're also talking about cutting back. Exactly. Exactly. It's almost, I mean, and, you know, Lance describes it best, but it, it, when he was riding up mountains, and he saw that he got a little bit of an advantage on his opponent, he went harder because that's when you put it away and that's when you win. And so for us to say, okay, we're making a little bit of progress, but now we're going to retreat, it just doesn't, it, there's no analogy in any other you know, sector of business or life or, or sports that, that, you, that you see that. Yeah, and I can imagine you with your passion in advocating for young people because it's been an overlooked area in research and you're, you've thrown out these great ideas that need to be researched, it must be you know extra threatening to hear that programs that are already in place are being cut. It must make you wonder, well, how are they ever going to begin the research that needs to be done in that area? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, again, incredibly frustrating that the, the The one thing I always talk a lot about is the fact that if you poll the American people, one, they are incredibly fearful of cancer as opposed to any number of other issues. And two, they are incredibly optimistic about the intellect and the opportunity that our scientists have, whether it's scientists in this country or around the world. And so there's no lack of confidence that we can find solutions to these problems. It's more the barriers and lack of resources that we're putting in the way making real progress. And so the exciting thing about that notion is that people are genuinely optimistic, and the American people in particular are are known for an optimism about what we can accomplish. And so if you translate that 
into into funding and into resources and into the research opportunities, I think we'd see a markedly different uh, amount of progress. And you are doing amazing and positive things with the Omen Cancer Fund for young adults and with Lance Armstrong's foundation, Livestrong. Coming up in May, you're going to have a Livestrong Day. Absolutely. We do Livestrong Day every year, and this year will be the biggest and most visible that we've ever done. Uh, We will actually stand on the steps of the Capitol in Washington and unveil a a public policy platform where we say, you know, this is what we believe needs to happen, and and we stand behind it. We're going to advocate vigorously for it, and we hope that other organizations and other individuals and advocates and volunteers will join with us and say, you know what, we we believe that this is possible if we band together and we we speak with one voice and we address uh, the cancer burden as as a country and make it a priority. Great. Well, good luck with that. This is the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM. My guest has been Doug Allman, founder of the Allman Cancer Fund for Young Adults and president of the Lance Armstrong Foundation. Thank you so much, Doug. Thank you. You are listening to the first channel for medical professionals, ReachMDXM, on 233.